1: ny or text hope ny in new york
2: just like penn state football the blue White illustrated daily edition does not provide an injury report so you have to figure it out when we show up on camera ryan snyder is down for the count this week so you got me uh but don't worry sean fitz coming up next we've got a lot of information to get to we're going to meet penn state's uh newest receivers coach tomorrow we're getting to some of that stuff we're getting to some recruiting news and we're going to focus on the offensive line has penn state turned the corner in recruiting that's coming up on the bwi daily edition recruiting show there's only two people in the class so the new intro a little bit sparse so far but sean fitz is here to fill us in on the information of who might be next? We're not going to get into names or dates or anything like that, but we're going to have a good conversation about a couple of interesting players coming up in the 2024 cycle. We have moved on to that. So, Fitz, how you doing today? First doing day good. of the uh, dead period, right?
3: Yeah, uh, yeah. It's the first week of the February dead period, so kind of a slow time. You get the residual, maybe get the residual commitments across the country from guys that just came off of junior days and things like that, but really a small number of guys that are committing fewer than it used to be, at least in February. So yeah, we're, we're just looking over the weekend. It was just like, Oh, so, so what are we doing here? Like what's going on? But there's, there's still plenty to talk about. still plenty to read about. So check us out uh on the site at blue, white illustrated. But uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of where we're at. And for those that are getting, just getting their feet wet and recruiting dead period does not mean there's no contact. It just means there's no, uh, in-person face-to-face contact which means no visits for prospects no coaches on the road to evaluate no coaches on the road to to recruit or anything like that you cool off you come back in march and then you uh you get your spring break visitors and things like that and then you you get into spring practice so a nice little not month off for the coaches because there nobody you never take a you, you never take extended time off when you're a college coach because recruiting is every day um but it's a nice little month month break for those coaches right now
2: yeah, and we'll be getting into something that I think is interesting that I, at least interests me. And in terms of relationships with particular schools, and we know the places that Penn State has gone to time and again for for talent. But expanding that pool, creating those relationships, it seems like there is a growing connection with Quince Orchard, which is where Chop Robinson came from. Uh, another uh, Quince Orchard uh, player was on campus this weekend. So, what do you have for us in in that vein?
3: Um, yeah, Quince Orchard has always been a spot where they've had talent. Um, they had, uh, I think, a little bit of a, a of a drought there, but Chop Robinson burst onto the scene a couple of years ago. Uh, just a phenomenal prospect. I I had him as a linebacker originally. I saw him in camp with Curtis Jacobs and a, and a couple other, and Tyler Elsden was there, and he was just like, he was awesome. Like I, I had him as a five-star, I think he ended up with uh, with on three just out of the five-star realm. But uh, he's one of those guys that have, have helped get that program back to, to where it's been as a, as a mid Maryland power. Um, you know, they've, they've got talent all over the place. Uh, Jalen Harvey, of course, a familiar name for Penn state fans. Uh, I think Penn state in the lead right now with Jalen Harvey. And I, yes, Ryan and I both have uh, both have picks in on the RPM for him as one of those guys that uh you know Penn State loves him off the edge he's got some twitch to him he's he comes off and and, and makes some plays uh that, that they've got they've always got a talented defense kind of loaded uh on that side of the ball yearly and Harvey's i think it's going to be the next really good one coming out of there
2: it was interesting because both you and Ryan have a pick in for him. I, uh, I I tried to work ahead a little bit, and if he commits to Penn State, I want to be uh, informed on what he did this past season. Uh, really interesting, a bit like denied Dennis Sutton, this past year he moved inside, kind of played a five technique. He played three and five and, and rushed a little bit from the outside. I, I didn't get into a ton of games, but I just thought that was super interesting watching him uh, have to not use that speed. And I was pretty encouraged that he's not the biggest guy in the world, which I think we've talked about before, the length and, and the overall size. His frame is a little bit smaller, but um, clearly he has, he has developed in the weight room. Um, and the other thing is when – I don't know how you feel about this, but like when I'm watching a guy that's playing out of position in high school – I like it and I don't like it because at, he's not learning some of the things that he's going to do at the next level. Like a lot of that stuff isn't necessarily translatable, but he did have to this past season rush through contact, which one of the things, you know, kind of trying to understand, okay, so what does this guy do and not do one of the things for defense Vens even if they're transitioning to linebacker, I want to see how they play through that contact. And a lot of times, the athletes that Pense gets on defense are so athletic, they can just blow by anybody and not really get touched. So having him play on the inside, I thought was. Good in a way for his development in terms of like his ability to, um, you know, redirect and keep his balance and, and push through a guard. But at the same time, they're, they're high school guards, right? So it's not like he's going up against uh, other power five guys all the time. Just an interesting thought I saw from him. Um, what, what do you think about that idea?
3: I, I agree with you. You know, you, you'd love to see him at his position, but, you know, using that versatility, I mean, he's going from a hand down position to another hand down position. This isn't a situation like uh, years ago, Braylon Franklin was playing nose tackle and he was there. Penn State was going to try and make him a linebacker and it failed spectacularly. Um, so this is a situation where he's learning to play along the line of scrimmage. Um, maybe that helps him in terms of how to use his hands at different spots. Um, This isn't a guy that's that's winding up or excuse me, lining up wide nine. that's just going around people. Um, So as you mentioned, fighting through that contact, learning how to hand fight and things like that are are things that are going to benefit him as a defensive end. And he's going to be a defensive end. Like he's a 6'2". I mean, he's 235 right now. So he's I think people look at that 6'2". And say that he's got snap off the edge, he's got this uh, this motor off the edge, and you think maybe you can make a linebacker out of him. Penn State sees him pretty clearly as an edge, and even though they've fallen in love with those guys that are 6'4", 6'5", with the long arms and everything like that, there's still a spot for for a guy that can get to the passer like this. I mean, AK was not much bigger, uh, maybe maybe an inch taller or something like that, uh, than Jalen Harvey. So that, that's kind of the frame that they they see. And like I said, they've had success with that. Jesse Lucchetto was not the biggest guy. Uh, AK, not the biggest guy. Chop Robinson, not even the biggest guy. So, you know, those, those big guys, those long guys are fantastic. And when they hit, they hit big. Uh, but Penn State has had success in this. And, you know, it's been through high school, through the transfer portal and, and, and in different ways. So I'm encouraged that they've moved in that direction in terms of getting out of the box that they were in um, from, from, from going after those long guys. And you still want those guys, obviously. But um, I, I think that the flexibility here carves a path for Harvey to have success.
2: And it's interesting and not to get too far off topic, but with Harvey versus a guy like maybe Devon Townley, Devon Townley playing defensive tackle, you know, I'm going to move inside the three technique. It's that's an interesting move, but in many D as a system, You kind of want guys that can move a little bit. And AK dropped into coverage a little bit. He's doing that with the Falcons now, by the way. Still kind of that zone blitz is is pretty trendy in football. And Manny Diaz drops defensive ends quite a bit. Like, if you look at their zone blitzes and guys that have to drop into coverage, they do it more than Brent Pryde did by, you know, probably 10, 15%. So having a guy that's 6'2", it might not be the worst thing in the world.
3: Yeah. You're blurring the edges with all of your positions. So you think about that, that Sam spot, you know, that's a blurring of the safety and linebacker spot. You look at these defensive ends that you can stand up, you can drop into coverage, a blurring of a linebacker and a defensive end, and then you move inside and you can, you can use Zane Durant, but you can also use one of your defensive ends to, to rush the passer from the interior. So just make yourself as versatile as possible and and your defense will really benefit from that. So I I definitely agree with that and I think that Harvey is a, is a very good example of this. I mean you still want to get a guy like Jacob Smith or one of those bigger guys uh, along the defensive line in 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 terms of your development. But I will say this, usually when you take a guy like that that's 6-5 whatever, he's got a lot of development ahead of him, but he might not be a great player yet. Mm-hmm. Jalen Harvey's already a great player and there's there's room for that and if you have the athletic Triangle numbers and things like that to back that up, then you might see him on the field a little bit sooner than some of these other guys. Why Mason Robinson, you know, last year was a was a big pickup at the end of the cycle because he fits into that mold as a guy that, uh, you know, not only there's there's growth ahead of him, but he's he's also done it on the field, which, you know, is is a minor part of football these days.
2: <laughs> yeah, you you you'd like to see a little bit of uh evidence of what you're projecting in the future for some of these guys to ease your mind a little bit. Even if even if you see it, though, it's never 100 translation. You can never guarantee that, but it makes you feel a little better. The last thing I want to uh, get into with the the Quince Orchard angle of things, kind of zoom back from the individual players, is like with these relationships with high schools. Are they always there? And it's dependent on on the individual player. How much does the coach? And, and the kind of administrative side of those things. has that play into recruiting relationships for what you know?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's all about relationships, like, at, at every stop. And that could mean that a guy that you coached, or a guy that you coached his player at one school, maybe he moved to another school, then all of a sudden the relationship blossoms there. I think the interesting thing here, Penn State just brought in DJ Bryant, uh, who has a ton of connections in Maryland. Penn, Penn State really hasn't done a much in Maryland. It, it's really funny, if you look at... Uh, New Jersey and Maryland, like last cycle, it was pretty empty. Like you, you had to go elsewhere to, to get that done. I don't think, I don't think uh, they got one from Jersey. Uh, Cause the Johnny Shakir did not end up signing with Penn state. And then Mason Robinson was your guy from Maryland. So out of those States, those border States, you got one guy. And that's some, some of that is, you know, guys going elsewhere, but most of it is, it just wasn't a great year in those States. So uh, we look at that and, and you see, where do, where do you help yourself as a, as a program? Khalil Ahmad coming in is going to help you in Jersey. DJ Bryant coming in is going to help you in Maryland. Marcus Higgins can help you in the 757. So these little areas that needed maybe patched up in terms of relationships, in terms of just finding the right guys that know everybody, because that's what, this, that's what these recruiting jobs are all about. Penn State has done that, and they've gotten to a point where they can – sort of um, mix and match and go with their need, like fill their needs, not so much with players, but fill their needs with guys that know that area and can find you the players in that area.
2: The next thing we're going to get to right now is our latest player spotlight, which comes with a little bit of news today, Fitz. So fill us in on Keelan Adams.
3: Keelan Adams was up for a junior day in January. This, of course, was just before the uh changeover from Taylor Stubblefield to Marcus Heggins so he has not been back uh with Higgins, but he came out with the top four um it was really interesting I was talking to Chad Simmons from from on three one of our national guys this morning and he said Adams was like kicking around maybe doing a top 10 a top eight something like that I think he had a top 12 prior um so cutting it down a little bit and then all of a sudden he chopped that thing down to four like and th- and it's for regional schools it's not like putting school you know it's not putting Alabama on there for flash uh, more than substance it's Penn State it's Pitt Virginia Virginia Tech. Uh, right now I think Penn State is in a good spot. Um, you know even though he has not been on campus with Marcus Higgins he does have some sort of relationship stemming from their time at Virginia and like I said the, the relationship there is going to be different than his relationship with uh, with Higgins at Penn State. Um, but this is one of the better, uh, if not the best receiver in the region. I think he's right up there with here, Denmark and with a couple of other guys. Um, six foot one, six foot and a half inch, uh, one seventy five is what we have him. Um, a good player, inside out player, kind of. If you were sketching a Penn State player, maybe Keandre Lambert Smith. Although I think Keandre was a little bit more um, explosive and athletic yeah. in, the, in the short area quickness uh, field. But Keelan Adams. Very productive receiver from Virginia. I think probably Penn State or Virginia Tech right now um, the, the would be the top of that list if I had to forecast it, but we're in the process of catching up with him and getting some more thoughts on that. But uh, I, know, I know Penn State feels strong about its position coming off of that visit in January.
2: Yeah, Keelan is welcome to come on the show and talk about it if he if he's interested. Of course, we'll be getting you all that information at bluewhiteillustrated.com. Um, the, the thing that I, I really like about watching his film is I did, I dipped into a little bit of it. I think he's got really good route running potential. Um, and, and you make a great point about, about Keandre Lambert Smith. And the thing that stands out to me is the, the long strides. A guy like that eats up. You see when he gets into the open field, his, his legs just go and, and they he breaks away from all the, the competition around him. Um, but it's that route running ability with that long stride that I think really makes him an interesting prospect because his frame looks bigger than it is, I think, uh on film because of that. And uh his ability to then run routes with that with that kind of breakaway speed will make him a dynamic guy, even if he doesn't have that short area quickness that we talked about with Lambert Smith, which I agree with you, you know, in terms of closest thing you could approximate. Um how this is a dumb question, but I'll I'll ask it anyway. How important is it for Penn State to land him, given what you just talked about? Tyser, Denmark, Keelan Adams, and then you know, kind of the region is is I think falls off a little bit after that. Is that fair? Yeah, I think
3: the, I think the region is the important thing here. As You look around; there's just not a ton of guys that really jump out at you. And guys will come onto the scene. Like it's it's still early in this class, um, but uh, Denmark is already off to Oregon, of course. Um, but uh, a lot of those guys that will. Continue to ride. Like I, I don't see Adams as a guy that's like falling off anytime soon. Like that's kind of where, where I'm looking at these rankings. On um, three's got him at 120, right around you know 24 has got him at 100. ESPN rivals somehow have him at 170, both of them. Which I, I mean, for this time, like that's an incredible grouping of of like close rankings at this time in the 2024 cycle for a guy. So um, I think enough people have, have, have looked at him like what they've seen and and they're going to go for that. But yeah, I mean, I think it's a guy when you're trying to establish yourself in certain areas with certain people, read Marcus Higgins into that, you know, that this Mm -hmm. is a recruit for him. So um, we haven't gotten like a firm hold on where the 2024 receiver board is right now. And I will say this, I think I may have said it last uh, episode these coaches coached during November, they're like into November, into December. Then you've got to lock up your 2023 class in December. Um, You take a little break for the holidays, January, you go back on the road, everything like that focused on 23 and then starting to focus on 24. So they haven't been in their office to sort of formulate where they want to stand on certain positions for a while. So when we ask, when we get these questions about where this guy is on the board, I think they're still very fluid and they're still working on that the first couple of weeks of February. So Ryan and I hope to have a better, a better grasp of what we're looking at in terms of uh, these positions because I mean we're at the time of year when guys just fall off like that bad junior film, bad feedback. You went on the road, you didn't like what you saw, things like that. You may have guys, you may have picks in for guys that you know just don't, aren't aren't really a, a like a legitimate option anymore. You know you've got all that stuff to be uh to be all over the place. So as I just ramble all over the place. And I apologize <laughs> for that word sal that I just put out there. Um, but uh yeah, you're you're continuing to evaluate, you're continuing to ramp yourself up to get these guys in for March visits, to get these guys up for the spring game and things like that. But Alan or excuse me, Adams seems like a guy that's just going to be fairly constant on that board.
2: Yeah. And I think that that's the important part about Keelan Adams too is that um, you know, I I think at times in the 23 class we had a similar conversation. There were probably some higher ranked guys in the region if you want to extend down to north carolina um that penn state was clearly interested in but when it came to like the board in 2023 there were a couple guys that were at the top that were really a part of the conversation the whole time. And Keelan Adams seems to be that guy this year. So that when I ask the dumb question of how important is he in these classes, what you just described is, well, we don't know what the class is yet, but we do have a pretty firm feel on one guy. So being able to have that guy being in the top four for that guy, being in a good position for Keelan Adams is a good sign early for the class of 2024. Um Anything else you want to add in there about Marcus Higgins? We're going to meet him for the first time tomorrow in this particular. uh, Do you you want to add extra emphasis to the Virginia uh, angle of this, the Tidewater area? Or is that something that I think uh, is properly rated at this point? I
3: think it's properly rated. The results aren't there and they haven't been there. And we're going to see if this guy can change it or this team can change it because Dex is down there. Ciders in there a little bit, you know. You've got guys that are down there working on it, but you know that's a that's this is this is not stuff that that happens in a day. So we'll see what happens. And Keelan Adams is not necessarily a litmus test for the twenty twenty four cycle in in that area, but uh, you know it's a pretty good prospect that you've been high on for a while, and you've had him up to campus a couple of times now. So I think that makes sense in terms of a guy that you look to as you know a potential trendsetter.
2: You can always check out our player spotlights, our prospect spotlights, Blue White Illustrated on YouTube. So don't make sure or make sure that you don't miss Michael Van Buren. We talked about Anthony Speca previously. Go check those out on our YouTube channel if you're watching or if you're listening on the audio version. And if you're watching on uh, YouTube, well, you, you just you just got it. You mentioned Chad Simmons a little bit earlier. Um, and he had an article about one of Penn State's top targets in this cycle, Brady Priestcorn. Uh, what is relevant that you want to update fans quickly before we get to the kind of the the next meat of the show here?
3: Yeah, uh, Brady Priestcorn has been on campus multiple times. Um, I think he's Penn State's top tight end target, and I'm not sure that it's particularly close. I think he's really good, really, really good. That said, I think there's some things that will keep him out in the Midwest. Um, he's from Michigan, and I think Michigan's probably in a good spot right now. When um, in, t- in talking to Chad or reading Chad's stuff, Penn State's there, but uh, you know, I think there's some things that are um, going to keep him in that general area. So um, sometimes you can't do much about it. Tight ends a spot where they've been pretty good with their recruiting, and uh, you know, if you can afford to miss at a spot, tight ends a spot. But you'd love to get Brady Priestcorn back on campus. Um, they they've been on him like from the start like they were one of his first offers they were one of his first visits i believe he visited right on the heels of an offer so is a very important target to penn state albeit probably one that they don't land um, but still that's uh that's a really talented guy that you're trying to keep away from some from some schools that you see on the schedule every year with lucky land
2: slots you can get lucky just about anywhere Uh, Ryan Snyder and I'm actually pretty bummed that I'm here on the show. I love being on the show, like that's not the problem. The problem is Ryan wrote a really great article about the offensive line and offensive line recruiting, and I was hoping to hear his thoughts about it this week. But uh, like I said, he's he's off today, so uh, Fitz and I are going to talk about it because that you know it it is it is relevant to the team and it's relevant to recruiting because 2024 following up on all of this stuff is pretty important. So. Uh, Where do you want to start in terms of recruiting? Because I know that we're we're asking the question, have they turned the corner, but I guess where do you start the corner that they've been turning? Like what's the starting point you want to start with?
3: I think 2021 is where you look. Like if you take a look at when Phil Troutline came in and of course the pandemic hits and things change from a recruiting standpoint, uh, getting two guys in, you got Nate Bruce and you got Landon Tangwall and that's not good enough in terms of numbers but you got the ability to sort of sit back and do your own evaluations and things like that i get that uh 2022 very important cycle for penn state they get drew shelton vega ione jb nelson malik mcneil uh one's already out the door which is it's fine i mean that that was a guy that was a multi year project if it hit boomer bust type thing um and it, and it busted that's what happens with offensive line recruiting but i will say this like drew shelton looks like a hit J.B. Nelson looks like he can play here. Veggie Ione, you saw Vega last week in person, looks like he can do anything he wants to do because he is just mass- a massive human being. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I'm, I'm encouraged. You you start to see the signs of the evaluations coming through, the guys that you didn't jump at in the 2022 class, even though, you know, we talk about this all the time. There are guys that they could get commitments for right now. In in 2022, that, I mean, that was certainly the, tr- the truth. 2024, you could go out and you could say, hey, you want on board right now? Guys would jump in and and some of these guys might develop into players, but I think there, w- there would be complaints about that. Penn State hasn't really reached in terms of it, I don't want to say they haven't reached. They haven't moved off of their foundation of evaluations. And I think yeah. that that's important yeah, yeah. to look at um, in these last couple of cycles, um, because, you know, sometimes you find yourself just taking guys to take guys and maybe. Like crossing your fingers and and hoping things to come together, they got three guys very early, four guys actually last year uh, in the cycle with Alex Birchmeyer, Javen Williams, Anthony Donka, and then Josh Miller, who I think is a really good player. Like he he flipped to Georgia, and I think he's going to be a player at Georgia. Yeah, um, and you can't say that about everybody that flips uh, to Georgia. And then they of course got Chimney Ono very late. Um, so I'm encouraged from that um, uh from that cycle in that you stuck to your evaluations, you got what was available to you in the region. And that is so important with offensive line recruiting. Offensive linemen don't, for, for the most part, don't go far from home like skill players go from home. I know Samson Oak, and Lola uh, went down South um, and a couple of those other guys went down South, but as, as more of a rule than an exception, these guys stay in their general area. So you got two guys from Northern Virginia, one guy from Pennsylvania and one guy from Maryland in the last class. And maybe you, maybe you involve uh, mega Barnwell there as a fifth guy from Virginia. So keeping it tight. And I think that that's important when you're looking at what Phil Troutline has done 2024 Cooper cousins, you got a guy in state who's talented enough to play here, big enough to play here, checks your boxes in terms of size, in terms of length and things like that. And that's another thing when you're going back to evaluations, they have not compromised and taken a guy with, 30 inch arms that yep. you you know, th- and, and that's something they did um, back in the earlier Franklin days. And you you got burned for that. So I think it's it's important to look at a couple different dynamics when you're talking about your evaluations, not compromising on your evaluations and making the most of what's available in the region. We're going to talk about that uh, in 2024 in a second after I get a sip of coffee, because I've talked far too long on this subject already. So your thoughts on everything I just said.
2: Well, I want to jump in on the length conversation because that's been one of the things I've been most fascinated about with Phil Troutwine is uh, what what are what are the criteria and what are the things that he, he's looking for? And um, I think everyone's looking for everything in, in a player like you don't want to compromise on size, athleticism, length or all those things like that. They should that's just obvious. get those
3: guys. Yes. Easy yeah.
2: Always get those guys and you'd be fine. But I, when I, you I have do, to make, a while difference. you're
3: saying that, I do laugh at at the people. It's like, why don't you know the guy that came from Central Michigan that was the number one to pick? Why why didn't you just take him? It's just like, nah, it's not quite what we're talking <laughs> about here. So.
2: Yeah, Go and, and and so you look at the guys that they have taken uh, swings on, and I think the the way I, I was thinking about it as you were talking is if they're gonna miss, they're gonna miss big, literally. You know, McNeil, some of the guys that they had in that they were considering, Nate um, Bruce, yeah, yeah, Nate Bruce Nate is a
3: big guy, yeah,
2: yep. And big then another hand, guy that like they big wanted to
3: big hands, big big giant heads, things like that. That's what they, you know, that that, that was James Franklin's thing when he came in was like look for the big features and then go from there. And now I think they're at a spot where you find those big features, but you also find guys that can play with those big features like Vega I mean, he's 330 yeah. some pounds. He's a giant square. Like he's, he's got everything that you're looking for. And also he looks like he can play a little bit.
2: Yeah. That's to me, that's the thing where I'm interested in, In they have flirted with guys that I think the movement skills are also very important to, to this offensive line. And I think really, as much as they diversified their running game, I still believe deep down this is a team that wants to run a lot of zone and you need to have athleticism to run zone. You need to be able to reach block. You need to be able to get on the other side of a lineman lined up to your interior. So when I see them go after big guys, that's where I'm interested in. Okay, so there are some things, but length is is the one thing that they're not going to compromise on. And even though I'm uncomfortable, some of the the guys, like I, I was not as high on McNeil. And I don't think that that's a surprise. Like just the, but I'm not as I was not as high on the project of Malik McNeil because I was concerned about some of the movement, lateral movement skills. But with these guys that they've been targeting, uh, I, I, I just think that that's a really interesting and fascinating conversation that we've seen, kind of learn throughout the Phil Troutwine being the offensive line coach, and it's so far it's worked. Like they've been able to find guys that have that length and not compromise. On the athleticism, because you you run down these guys, Vega Yona, you you mentioned him, JB Nelson played tackle at uh, at uh, Lackawanna Shelton hyper athletic, Birchmeyer uh, and uh, Javen Williams, Donko another guy that's super long and athletic, and then Chimdi has that athleticism and and tackle body. So they've been able to thread that needle. um The twenty twenty four class is going to be fascinating because they've got Cooper Cousins, great length, great athleticism again. Great size. Uh, what else do you see filling in around him? What are the names we want to get to um, that fit the description of what we just we just laid out?
3: Well, you look at what's in the region, and that's so important um, when when you take a look at offensive line recruiting, as I just mentioned. And there's there's some tackles. Um, you know, it, it, I think there's. A lot of those guys that fit into that, maybe Javen Williams mold that could play college tackle that are probably suited to play NFL guard. And that's fine. You know, you're going to find a lot of college tackles are going to end up on the interior in the pros. That's just how they build them at that level because you continue to get bigger. You continue to get more athletic every step of the way. Um, I think there's a couple of guys that that really stand out to just just to kind of jump off the page. Gerby Lambert, number two in the on three rankings. He's one of those guys that, you know, has a lot, kind of like a Samson Oak, and Lola that has a lot of the tools that you look, that you kind of salivate over. Um, and then you've got a guy like Liam Andrews who has a lot of the tools as well, but also has the tape where you put that tape on and you're like, this kid is awesome. Like offensive, defensive, moving forward, backward, everything like that. Um, Liam Andrews is one of my favorite prospects um, a lot because my first impression of him was at camp last summer and he just flat out dominated and he was awesome. Um, You know, and they see him as a tackle. He's six, four and a half. Um, So maybe on the shorter end of that tackle scale, maybe, maybe, maybe he is one of those guys that's an interior guy at the NFL. Uh, but you go from there. Kevin Haywood's been on the board for a long, long time. Penn State seems like they're still in a in a good spot with him. And then you move over. Um, you you kind of it, it's interesting because when we talk about regions, I always put that border um, to the west because Ohio State does such a great job of locking down their state, and they I think they've recommitted to locking down their state in terms of it's it's harder to recruit with NIL and things like that. Um, so they've they've refocused on on you know, their home base. So it's going to make it hard. Uh, Devontae and Deontay Armstrong, both guys that, that have Penn state offers. Ben Roebuck was just in for a visit. um, And and you've got some other guys in Ohio that are very good offensive linemen. And you're probably going to see a lot of these same names pop up with Ohio state, with Michigan, with some, with Notre Dame, with some of those schools um, that, that, typically cherry-pick this region. So I think that that's important to, to look at. Very intrigued by Cameron Warren. He was at St. Francis. He went back down to Virginia. I actually haven't heard much from him. But Penn State also got guys on campus um, from near and far in January. Blake Frazier from Texas, who whose father played at Michigan. Ethan Calloway from North Carolina has been up a couple times now. Styles Prescott from, uh, from Indiana. DeAndre Carter came from California. Brandon Baker came from California for a game. So they're getting guys back on campus or getting guys on campus and then back on campus, which is important for this offensive line group. Now you're Daniels, another absolutely massive guy. Kind of kind of reminds you of Malik McNeil in terms of like his massive if that's a word, like six, three, <laughs> seven, just like huge. Um, so that's kind of what you're working with here. Um, I will say this. Offensive line goes along at its own pace. Sometimes you pick those guys off in, early in the cycle, like they did last year or last cycle with Birch and with uh, Javen Williams. By the way, I just keep hearing great things about Alex Birchmeyer. Like, I think he's going to be a player here, and, and the staff seems to think so too. Um, but uh, it goes along at its own pace. You'll see if they get guys in for camp and things like that in the summer. Um, Colin Coverly, who they had in for camp last summer, has picked up some, some nice offers. I think Wisconsin offered, I think Texas offered. So it'll be interesting to see if Penn State circles back around there. Penn State hasn't offered, like, it, it it's tough to rank these guys early, but Penn State uh, hasn't offered Giov- Giovanni Cooley from from Erie. They went and saw him play, I believe, against Cooper Cousins, and they still didn't offer. So that's interesting. We have him as a four-star prospect, or we had him as a four-star prospect at, at on three, at least, uh, at least early in the cycle. So there, there's a bunch of names out there, but like I said, this is a position that goes along at its own pace. And the way that Penn State has been able to stick to its guns in terms of recruiting and stick to its guns in terms of its, its evaluations, I think that's a very interesting way to track this uh, this position. Has it turned the corner? I mean, can you match that class from that class of 2023 um, with your 2024 class?
2: It's kind of like Probably asking, not. can you can you match 22 at quarterback? Like maybe eventually, but that's going to be hard to do, right?
3: Yeah, and that's apples to oranges because you're talking about guys coming in at quarterback that you know are are going to play and are going to you know there's there's four quarterbacks on scholarship, there's 15 offensive linemen, so yeah. you get a little bit more room for error there. Um, so you can stay you're more apt to stack classes in uh, on the offensive line than you will would be a quarterback at a place like Penn State. Um, but I'm-, I'm just telling you that that class of 2023 is very like has the potential to be very, very good.
2: Yeah, uh, even a guy that uh, like I-, I think is a bit of a project when they when they got him, Anthony Donko. He improved. He's got tons of talent, and he could be as good as those other guys when the light comes on for him, like fully as an athlete. Um, the the thing that is interesting, you mentioned it: fifteen scholarship offensive linemen. This is a large list. Like just looking at our notes uh, before the show, there's a lot of names here. But that, I guess, Penn State fans shouldn't feel terribly confident about landing all of those guys given how many uh how many teams in the region will be competing for them and how many t- players you need right
3: right yeah i mean you're probably looking at another four or five guys you got cooper cousins who is like primed as a center but like has that length and has that size to play tackle if you needed him to so like those are the guys you want to look for like the guys that can have that versatility to play all those positions. That's why a guy like William Satterwhite. I think Penn State's in a really good spot with him, offensive lineman from uh, Ohio, who's been in for a couple of visits. Was on campus in January. Forgot to run through him. I have him listed high on my last um, on my list, but I was going through and trying to hit the tackles. Um, and he's he's an interior guy, like he's a he's a guard center type guy all the way. Um, whereas Penn State has started with tackles and they'll move guys in, on you know onto the interior. But there's always space for a guy. Like, I mean, it's a guy like. Uh, Sal Wormley was never going to be a tackle here, but, uh, you know, there's a space for that and he's becoming, or will become a multi-year starter. So, um, I look at that and I see a guy like Satterwhite can, can definitely end up in this class. And, uh, he started to, to sort of catch fire himself. It's just the thing. These guys are so hard to find guys that can move at that size, six, three and up that, uh, are able to hold 300 pounds or three twenty or three seventy for an IR Daniels, if you will. Um, those guys are hard to find, and the the market is so you know saturated with with uh, you know mid level guys, and then there's these top guys like Liam Andrews, like Kirby Lambert that that just make it harder to find, uh, or excuse me, harder to land these guys in the long run. Uh,
2: so the last thing I wanted to ask you, and this has been kind of the conversation with Phil Troutman when, when he first got to Penn State, was the immediate return was not there because struggled out of the gate. If you want to get into all that stuff, I think Ryan did a great job recapping it in his article, which, by the way, you can check out bluewhiteillustrated.com for $29.99. Sign up now. Get through that deal all the way through next football season. And in true fashion for the recruiting show, I forgot to ask you to like the video. I'm really, really stepping into Ryan's shoes today. So please like the video and subscribe to Blue White Illustrated. But return on investment, I guess we could say, or just the the impact on the field because the recruiting has been excellent 22 23 when do we see that return in we've seen what he's done with guys that were already on the roster or young that he recruited when does this maturation take place when do you see does this take another step on the field
3: yeah, I think it's it's tightened up a little bit because it used to be three, four years until you get these guys through. And now it's probably two, maybe three years. Um, I think they're they're ahead of schedule playing guys like Shelton and Vega, like as true freshmen. Not not necessarily something that you go into the season expecting to do or wanting to do. But those guys held up pretty well. And and you've got to preserve that red shirt for JB Nelson. And all of a sudden going into his second year on campus. Like that's the, th- that's the interesting thing here is Shelton's going to compete for that right tackle job. Like in his second year on campus, Vega is going to play. Like he's going to compete for that right guard job with Wormley on, in his second year on campus. And then Nelson's going to be competing in that left guard spot, his second year on campus. That's probably an anomaly. Like you, you don't, I, I don't want to say that you don't want those guys to be on the field that early, but you don't typically see that. Birch, I think, is gonna be right away your fourth or fifth offensive tackle. Like he's he's athletic enough to do that. Javen, I think, might may take a little bit more time. Donka a little bit more time than that. And then Chimney, probably a little bit more time than that. Um, so I think bringing in the 2022 class may change the perception of how quickly you can get those guys on, but I think there are more exceptions than rules in that. Um, Cooper Cousins has been preparing for a long, long time, but it's going to be a jump from, from Erie to, to, to Big Ten. Um, So you've got, uh, you've got different timelines for different people. um, And I think that that, it's tough to sort of uh, nail down how quickly those guys can see the field, how quickly you can start seeing the returns, but you you saw what you saw with Penn State this year it was not not a mirage i think that offensive line continues to get stronger you got olu back against all odds you get olu back which is just absolutely you you can't say enough about that sure it changes some things with your uh plans with uh with the other tackle spot changes some things in the transfer portal um and and things of that nature but dude, you got, you got a top 10 NFL draft pick coming back. You'll complain about that stuff later.
2: Yeah. Um, I think you'll so, be all right. Not playing your sophomore tackle at left tackle right away. You'll be, yeah, you'll, you'll be, be okay We're with
3: that. Completely fine with that. And then, you know, I think, I think going into the 2024 season, you're going to look at a potential starter from the portal again at offensive tackle. Like that's that's kind of how this works. I mean, you're going to lose, Olu, you're going to lose Caden Wallace after this year. What do you have after that? Uh, is Birchmeyer a guy that you keep at tackle? Is he a guy that can eventually be your 2024 center? I, I don't know. It's just going you know, it to depend on how those things come along, so on uh, how this 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 process comes along. But what I do feel is that they have more capable bodies, they have bigger bodies, they have guys that fit their mold in, in terms of what they want to throw out there and roll out there. Um, in terms of, you know, James Franklin said it after the Michigan game that they want to recruit bigger on the defensive line. They've already done that on the offensive line, and you're starting to see it with guys like Bertram, like the, these guys that they brought in, um, four or five years ago were six, three, like, you know, yeah. you look at that class that was a really, really good class in 2016, when they brought in Michael Menett, Connor McGovern, Will fries and Alex Gellerstead. you hit on three or four of those, which was just, that's a great hit rate for an offensive line class. And now you've got three guys, uh, if not starting in the NFL bouncing around the NFL. Um, but you look at those guys and, and fries was, you know, sort of atypical at that point, bigger guy, you didn't really, realize how big he was until he got on campus. McGovern kind of fits that mold that's six, four and a half. And then Mennett who I think started at six, five ended up at six, three, you know, that's kind of where you're, where you were at with that class. Um, Now, all these guys are big. All these guys are bigger. All these guys are filling in that role and, and and they're athletic to go on top of that. So I'm encouraged. I I never, never want to say that the strength of your team is going to be your offensive line in today's college football, because defenses are so good. Um, you've got a bunch of really athletic guys that can get in the way and, and make things happen. Very, very few good offensive lines in yes. college football. Um, so I never want to say that that's going to be the strength of your team, but like you're grading on a curve these days. Like that's how you work with offensive linemen. That's how you work with, with the offensive line in general. And I think Penn state is well on its way to being at a top level of that curve with the way that they've recruited, the way that they've coached and the way that they've evaluated uh, up front.
2: Yeah, and it's not 100% across the board because I know that any time I say a thing, you can throw, well, what abouts? back at you? But mm-hmm. the, generally, the offensive line has been de-emphasized throughout football. Like Even in the NFL, th- there are, they're running RPO concepts and read options, which are to help the offensive line because of what you just described of all of those freakazoids that play defensive line. So right. you need to be able to help those guys and – by the way if you miss on two positions on the offensive line it's detrimental but they are almost half of the offense so if you can if you can uh, mitigate that that's you' you have a huge advantage but also on the flip side if you can have an advantage there I do think it sets the baseline of your offense higher and and kind of that that floor you have a floor of how good you can be each year because you do have that stability so and that's that, and that-
3: and that's why I was encouraged by November, like Penn state did not play their best offensive football in November, yeah. but you got Shelton out there. You got Nelson, you, you know, you got these younger guys out there and you made it work with what you had and you got in the way very effectively. And and that's sometimes that's what you have to ask for when you're going against uh, you know, that that was the bottom of the schedule, no doubt. But when you're going against those other teams, and I think you saw that in, you saw the confidence grow. You saw things like little things that, that, that could, Consider it a corner turning, if you will, against uh, against Utah. But yeah. I mean, that's still where you're at with the offensive line. I people, it, it's really interesting that, that Penn State fans they they you know the 94 offensive line is hollowed and it should be. It's one of the best mm-hmm. offensive lines of all time in college football. Didn't see it before that. Haven't seen it since. Like that's an anomaly. That's kind of what you're thinking. So if that's your standard for an offensive line, you're not you're going to be disappointed basically every time out. So. Penn State has come along. They've built it up. They've done a nice job, and and they've stuck to their guns. And I think that that's the important part when you're looking at that. And you're going to start to see a, a higher baseline, a higher floor with that with that offensive line moving forward because of it.
2: You know, I, I the last thing I'll say is that this has gotten me into trouble at times, especially this past season. But I generally think because of everything you just said, most offensive lines are average they're acceptable they're good those are those are not to be uh dismissive but uh you know it, it, when you say that I think there's a little bit uh probably a little bit of of hot takiness that's that's embedded in there one thing that I don't think is a hot take at all this is an awesome first recruiting show for the dead period so excellent job Fitz this has been a blast
3: yeah I'm glad Ryan wrote that story so we could talk about his his story <laughs> online so maybe, maybe when you get him on again you can ask his thoughts
2: i'll do that yeah i'll also get him a beer for uh for giving us something to talk about today that'll do it for the bwi daily edition recruiting show make sure you subscribe if you are on uh listening on the podcast version we got the mailbag show coming up this week and you know i don't want to be disrespectful to any of our listeners i was uh uh mailbag could have been better last week so bring your heat bring some good thoughts We'll be talking about them on the Mailbag Show, five-star review on Apple Podcasts, plus your comment that gets us uh, that gets you on the show. And of course, bluewhiteillustrated.com on the, uh, on the lines and message form is where you need to be for uh, the Mailbag. We will talk to you tomorrow after uh, we get to meet a whole bunch of new people for Penn State football. They're having press conference tomorrow. We'll have James Franklin's comments uh, almost live here on YouTube. Quick replay on that. So I'll stop telling you everything that's coming up and let it happen. We'll talk to you tomorrow.
1: Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to two five three three-four two in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit KS Gambling Help